You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This is Jennifer Ashley Tepper with the Untold Stories of Broadway podcast. And today our guest is the great Anne L. Nathan. Uh, Anne and I spent the whole summer working together on the musical Broadway Bounty Hunter. And I also have just been a huge fan of hers forever for her shows, including Thoroughly Modern Millie, Ragtime, Chicago, Assassin, Sunday in the Park with George, Once It Should Have Been You. Chances are if you've seen a Broadway show in the past 10 years, you have seen Anne L. Nathan. Um, and she's especially known for her role as Miss Flannery in Millie, which we are here to talk about today, along with the Marquee Theater. Jennifer Ashley Tepper on the Untold Stories of Broadway podcast, and I am here with a very exciting guest, Anne L. Nathan. Hi, Anne. Oh, hi. Oh my God, I'm so excited <laughs> to be sitting with you. Me too, always. Always. Um, we just spent a lot of time together this summer working on Broadway Bounty Hunter at a tech table and in the theater together, so to sit with you at a podcast table is a familiar but new experience. Although I want to say that I don't understand why there are no snacks here. <laughs> There the are. Table. We can grab no, there snacks. Are. There, I don't want snacks, but but um, just we saying just, we did. We, we were like covered in snacks we this were. summer, we so um, different vibe. But so we're here to talk about the Marquee Theater and about Thoroughly Modern Millie, which of course you originated a role in, um, which was an incredibly formative and um, important show to me. And I'm just like, I still can't believe that we're friends. Honestly. Also, what role did you play in high school? Oh my God! So I copied your Tony performance, move for move, <laughs> note for note, um, for Thespians, um, and it was probably like the best performance I ever gave just because I copied you. I watched everything you did. Um, it's You can find it on YouTube, me tapping to forget about the boy. Mm. I'm so glad you brought that up. Yeah. <laughs> um, so the Marquee, um, just to start us off, uh, the Marquee Theater was built in 1986. And the interesting story about the Marquee, of course, is that the Marriott Marquee, um, when it was built, uh, it knocked down five theaters that were there. So um, in what is known as the Great Theater Massacre of 1982, did you know that? I did not know that. Oh, this wow. Is I'm glad we're, we're each going to teach each other things yes. today. But so um, there were five theaters, the Morasco, the Bijou, that old Helen Hayes, the Gaiety and the Astor, that in 1982, um, the city, you know, it was a very different New York City. Um, things were falling apart. Times Square was, you know, decrepit and not what it is now, certainly. Um, and to re-energize the city in the same way that later on Disney would and Giuliani would and all of that, um, there was this idea to build this giant hotel in the middle of Times Square that would um, bring in tourists and bring 
bring a new business, but Times Square was such a wreck that they wanted to build the hotel facing away from Times Square, which is kind of the way the Marriott got built, how it did. Um, and there were huge protests, and everyone from Christopher Reeve to Susan Sarandon chained themselves to, you know, bulldozers. Joe Pat making speeches on a bullhorn. You know, why are we getting rid of these five theaters? Um, this will get to a, a wonderful place at some point, I promise. I love the marquee. Um, so essentially, though, it was birthed out of this, like, you know, sadness and all these protests for these historic theaters that were being knocked down. But because of that, we got the marquee. Um, there was a deal where, like, okay, if you're going to build this hotel and get rid of these theaters, there has to be a theater in the hotel. So it was originally intended to be, like, a hotel oh, wow. ballroom. Became the marquee theater. Um, and I always just think, you know people were mad at the time and now the marquee is like this beloved house where so many important I mean it's no all... gaiety <laughs> which I'm pretty sure maybe I went to auditions there I feel like that's a place that people oh so there there was there was a rehearsal it, studio that in people like, went to in like when I was like 19 Little. or something yes. yeah okay yeah yeah, those blocks were really different. Um, so the Marquee, when it was built in 86, uh, it opened officially. Its first real production was Me and My Girl, which is still the longest running production there. Um, and the second production at the Marquee, I'm just obsessed with this, So, and you'll know exactly why, um, was Annie 2, Miss Hannigan's Revenge, which never came in, but the Marquee on the Marquee went up. And I became obsessed when I first moved to New York with shows where the Marquee went up and it didn't come in, because like, how often does that happen? That's crazy. I did Have not you know. Ever, like, Again, you're stumping me. Yeah, okay. You, so do you feel... <laughs> I, I'm just like, I'm about to rattle off a list of like marquees that went up for shows that didn't come in. But um, no, I'm always just fascinated by that. So Annie 2 was technically the second show. Um, but the first show I ever saw at the marquee was Millie. Okay. So did you ever see a show at the marquee before Millie? Um. Oh my gosh. I don't know if I did. No. Wait, was Annie Get Your Gun there? Yes. Yes, I saw Annie Get Your Gun. Um, I think that's it because I don't think I ever saw Damn Yankees. Mm-hmm. I think that was the show that I saw there. Cool. Yeah. Cool. Um, so tell me about how did Millie start? How did you first get involved? Oh, um, I did a reading, and um, what happened was I auditioned for Wise Guys. Was that what it's called, the Sondheim show? Yes. That I actually ended up doing Roadshow, which was Wise Guys. But in, back in the day, they did a production uh, with Sam Mendes, and I auditioned. It was the first time I auditioned for Jim Carnahan, and I did not get it. And then I got a call probably two weeks later. I was in ragtime at the time. And I remember my agent saying, um, don't you hate when people are like, my agent said. <laughs> but, but I remember my agent uh, saying, so there's a show, Thoroughly Modern Millie, and uh, do you want to do the reading of it? And you know, you'd be on the ensemble. And I remember going, that is so not my kind of show. What's bobbed hair and just like long <laughs> legs in the 20s and flappers. But of course, I was like, yeah, I'd love to do it. And I did the reading, and I remember while I was doing the reading, and I had a great time at that reading. It was a wonderful experience. But I remember out of the corner of my eye watching Ruth Williamson play Miss Flannery, and she was wonderful. But I remember thinking, I bet that I, she, it's going to be too small for her. She's not going to take that role. <laughs> and I remember just sort of like it was marinating, like that I could do that role. And then I remember thinking, that could be a tap show. Wouldn't that be a tap number? I mean, I, I honestly, I like, I feel like I... I, what do they call it when you bring it to you? What's that book? You secreted it. I secreted it. <laughs> I did. So then many months later, we auditioned for La Jolla. I had a re-audition. And there was a big dance call. And I had a tap dance. And I found out a week later that I got... And I, I remember we called. We actually called and said, Anne is interested in auditioning for Miss Flannery. And they said... I think at the time they just said no. I don't know if it was that they thought I was too young, whatever it was. But then I got a, an offer a week later saying, you're going to be in the ensemble and play Miss Flannery. So that's what I did. When I was in La Jolla, I was dancing. Like, I mean, Rob Ashford would be like, can you go further back? <laughs> no, further. 
Further back, more to the left. Yeah, you're off stage good. You're good. Um, I joke about that, but really, I was with Joanne Hunters, like the people yeah. who could really dance and do like three turns. And I was like, one. <laughs> and then I had to go down on the floor. I remember just, it was just so hard. Uh, but I played this Miss Flannery, and I then Equity came and saw the show, and they determined that I was a principal. Thank you. <laughs> and so I didn't have to do all the dancing that was not in my wheelhouse. And then... The story goes on, so that's what happened. It just it was it was a bit of kismet. Yeah. Um, what was the show like out of town? Like, were there parts that were different that you remember? Uh, songs were different, so it was a very exciting time. I still remember. I remember the first time we heard "Gimme Gimme." I remember the turntable broke, and instead it was the opening night, the first preview, I think, first preview. The turntable had broken quite a bit, and we decided we determined that we'd, we'd sit and read it. And I was the narrator and Miss Flannery, and we read the piece, and then we. We got up and did forget about the boy. We did like two or three numbers. And we never heard Gimme Gimme before, and, and it was just amazing. That's the kind of stuff that, that I mean, Janine really, Janine and, and Dick really worked hard out, yeah. out of town. They changed a lot. They changed a lot of scenes. They changed songs. So it kept changing. And then the leading lady changed. So mm -hmm. a lot changed there. Yeah. What do you remember about moving into the marquee? And what was your dressing room like? Oh. What was that? Well, the first thing I remember is, looking back on it, it makes me laugh. Now, we had such faith in the show that we all painted. That <laughs> just doesn't happen. I, I've never been in a show, except, unless you're lucky enough to have someone who designs your dressing room, you don't paint till the reviews come in. <laughs> and we were like, red paint. We all went to the paint store. We were all painting our rooms during tech. That's what we did. Um, I had an amazing dressing room because there were these windows that faced out into the lobby and they hadn't put up the posters yet. Mm -hmm. So when I first moved in, is that okay? I just moved it. When I first moved <laughs> in, you could see people in the lobby into your shower. Like the bathroom and shower were, had total glass. You can, you can wave to people in the, I, I don't they know how to design you, that. Well, no, they could see you, but the crazy thing, they, so they forgot to include dressing rooms when they built the theater. When oh. they were like, oh yeah, we have to put a theater in this hotel. It was a ballroom. Um, so those were supposed to be shops. And so they like weren't exactly built to be dressing rooms. I think it's all different now. Though. But I think that it is all different now, but I'm pretty sure they could see me. Like I think we actually, just, <laughs> like Gavin would go out and go, hi. Like, oh we'd Because we couldn't believe that the shower was there right. and I had to wait till they had poster board or whatever was up to there. To shower. So, um, um, but I, I remember thinking, I remember that people said that people who work in that theater are always happy because there's so much space. Yeah. And I think that that is true. There were so many dressing rooms mm -hmm. and there's so many floors of dressing rooms that it was a very happy company. And mm -hmm. I've talked to other people in other shows there and they, they say that it's notoriously a happy place because you have space. Right. I've heard that a lot. I've heard, um, you know, there's, it's the only one with a soda machine. It's the only one with a green room. Um, I also, so you were the very first interview I ever did for my book series in 2013 at the Edison at Cafe. The Edison, yes. RIP Edison. Um, and that is something I have always treasured because I really didn't know what I was doing yet. And you just kind of let me ramble and we had a great time and we ate Edison food and it was fantastic. But one of the things you said to me that you were the first of a couple people to say was you have to interview Ray, the doorman because he's like the heart of the marquee. Um, and the way that this happened is crazy to me because I was like, oh, I have to interview him. I couldn't find his contact info. And finally, I was like, oh, I'm just going to drop a note off at the marquee. And I like tweeted and was like, does anyone have his contact info? If not, I'm going to drop a note off. And you were like, call me because you had gotten his contact info for me and found out <laughs> that it was his last day because like something was closing and oh, there wasn't another goodness. show coming in. So I like ran there 
And I was like, Anna Nathan gave me your info, told me it's your last day. And he was like, yeah, pull up a seat, interview me. And if you hadn't done that, I wouldn't have interviewed him because there wasn't another show in. And he became kind of like the narrator of that chapter. I mean, he's he's fascinating. He is the marquee. And the sweetest most open, like just a remarkable person. Yeah. Um, I'm going to put you on the spot and make you read a Ray story oh. from the marquee. <laughs> I can't wait. Okay. So it's, it's actually the opening of the chapter. Okay. I was born in Puerto Rico. I moved to New York in 1972. In the 1980s, I was working as a private security guard guarding the marquee theater. On the last day of my contract, the doorman left for a new job and I got to take over. I was blessed. That was 25 years ago, and I've been at the Marquee Theater ever since. The first Broadway show I ever saw was the first one I worked on. I worked for, Me and My Girl, 1986. Great show! <laughs> Exclamation point. It made me a fan of musical comedies. At the Marquee, we've had some great shows. We had Shogun, Victor Victoria. Oh, I saw Victor Victoria, by okay, the way. Okay, there you go. Yeah. And Thoroughly Modern Millie, which I loved. We had The Woman in White. And the drowsy chaperone. I've seen all these shows. What am I talking about? I've seen everything at the marquee, which was awesome. And recently we had Evita and Jekyll and Hyde. Those were good shows. Oh, those were only good shows. The other were great shows. I'm just saying that's what we said. During Shogun, they did a salt ceremony. All of the stagehands and everyone on the house staff thought that the salt ceremony jinxed the theater. The shows right after that weren't very good. And on Come Fly Away, Twyla Tharp did an earth ceremony to bless the show. One time they rented out the theater for an event and Bob Hope came into the marquee. He had a tradition of making the first person he, that he saw laugh. That's how he knew that he was going to have a good time on the stage. He saw me first at the door and he had me laughing until he got all the way up to the top of the stairs. He was pleased. But it's so nice to meet everybody. To me, everybody's important, including yourself. I just was oh like, my I know I put that in. I was just like, this that is so sweet. I know. Shall I go on? Go on. Bernadette Peters has done three shows here. I love that lady. And during Follies, she and Jan Maxwell were both here together. Jan Maxwell is an incredible woman, too. Oh, that number she did, Lucy and Jesse, I saw that number 40 times. <laughs> Lucky him. Wow. Jan was actually a bit of a practical jokester. One time, the night doorman, Cisco, accidentally cut someone on the knee with a knife, and Jan came down and gave him a safety kit and some plastic knives. <laughs> During the Goodbye Girl, Carol Woods and Scott Wise used to love fighting with water guns. You had to walk around with an umbrella. My routine is usually that I walk into the theater and open it up. If it's a non-matinee day, I bring my PlayStation or my Xbox and I play games. I work out. Once the show is in production, you can have a routine and do these things. As a doorman, sometimes you see a show that isn't perfect, but you always see everything come together little by little. You see the hard work these actors do and how much time the writers spend here. And because of that, every single opening is special. For Annie, Get Your Gun and Damn Yankees, and opening night, the whole staircase was covered in flowers. With Ricky Martin and Evita, the audiences were crazy. We had one guy who was drunk and started screaming that Ricky was gay during a performance. There was a young lady who decided to jump on stage and go after him and grab him. And at our stage door, there was hair pulling and pushing and shoving because they wanted to see Ricky. It reminded me of one time during the Cape Man when a young lady wanted to bite Mark Anthony's <laughs> neck. <laughs> But on the flip side, sometimes the stage door is great. There was this one person that made me laugh so much. Reba McIntyre came out the stage door after Annie Get Your Gun, and he yelled out with a nice southern accent, Reba, we named our horse after you. <laughs> During Me and My Girl, my first Broadway show, Jim Dale had a sword play, uh, play sequence. One day he threw up his sword and missed. Threw up, comma, his sword. <laughs> one day he threw up his sword and missed, and the sword ended up in the pit. A little old lady came running up. She was very short, maybe four nine, and real slowly and gently she said, are you all right down there? The mic picked it up. It made the whole audience explode with laughter, and thank God everybody was all right. 
Wow, that's so beautiful. He just was... He has such joy. That's like, interviewing him, I really felt like I was interviewing the Marquis Theater. Yeah. I know that sounds like he just No, he has such interesting set. stories. And when they were doing the renovation on the Marquis, I walked by the Neil Simon one day and I saw him and I was like, oh, right. But I was so like perplexed to see him somewhere else. <laughs> I was like, that's so weird. But, um, that's so yeah. sweet. So I got to interview him because of you. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. One of the things he showed me that I thought was crazy, going back to you saw Victor Victoria, I'm jealous. Um, he showed me, and they still had it, this was just a couple years ago. Um, Julie Andrews, you know, obviously famously declined her Tony nomination. Victor Victoria was not nominated for Best Musical. She was the only nominee for Best Actress. And so she said, I choose to stand with the overlooked in my company. Um, and so the stagehands built her a giant Tony Award that said, like, this is your Tony Award. And it, like, was still at the marquee when I interviewed Ray in 2013. That's amazing. I don't remember that, but that's. So cool. So, but you got to see that show and you saw a few others that played the marquee. Yes, because Adam Heller, my dear friend, was in that show. And yes, it's funny, you forget what you see until you actually see it on paper and they go, oh, I've seen that. Totally, all of those. Um, so, what were the traditions at Millie? Was there anything that happened backstage that was like, um, an every week thing or any like memories about doing traditions backstage? Um, well, I know my personal thing, cause I'm, I, I am superstitious is I had the, the greatest crew is at that theater and they built me a tap tile that I had in my room. And every day before I went on stage, I had to go through all my tap stuff just cause I was scared that I, so I had this ridiculous tap tile in my room. We had, um, I don't know that we had rituals. I mean, we had we had very nice producers on Millie. They bought us bagels every week. Mm -hmm. We had a TV that was bought for us in the green room, so we'd have a comfy place to hang out. But I don't remember specifically rituals. I really don't. Mm -hmm. Sorry, I can't help oh, you no, with that that's one. Oh, no, all good. Um, was there any like other show on the block that you remember interacting with? Like, What were the shows at the time, or were there specific hangouts that the Millie cast had? Producers was mm -hmm. down the block, I'm pretty sure. I'm right, right about that. Yeah. yeah, we used to go to Angus sometimes. R.I.P. Angus. That's so weird yeah, that that's gone. It is so weird. Yeah. I think that was the place that we went to the most. I'm trying to think where else we, we hung out. Because I did do a fair amount of hanging out because it was not a difficult role. Right. <laughs> um, you know, Sutton was going home and like being very disciplined. But most of us, I think, had a good time. And it was also such a light, fun show that we were always in a good mood and we always wanted to celebrate, especially because it also came after six months after 9-11. So right. it was a really, really important show at the time because people, I think, wanted some, to see something that lifted their spirits and made them laugh. Totally. Um, I feel like that is such a part of the Millie story. Like, people really remember seeing it after 9-11, just 
exactly as you said, was there a sense of um, that with the audiences at all? Like, did you talk to people that were like, yeah, thank you for... I still remember Donna Lynn Chaplin coming, and I, at the time, we, we didn't know each other, and she sent us a letter after saying that it, w it just transformed her because she was so down to see that kind of show really... I think that we were all very nervous. I, I can speak for many of us that we were nervous. We didn't know what would happen because it was such a scary time in the city for numerous reasons, but especially with, with um, this business, what was going to happen, what was going to sell, will people go back to the theater? So it was. we were very lucky that it just kind of worked out. And, we, and also it worked out because we had producers that supported the piece. Mm -hmm. And that's you know an amazing thing. When did you feel like you knew that it was going to be a hit? I don't know that that ha you know I felt like it was a slow burn. Did I always have faith in it? Yes. Did I always find it incredibly entertaining and funny and charming and love the music? All of that, yes. But I think it was one of those that just kept picking up speed, kind of. And then the Tonys happened, and that really changed things. Mm -hmm. So I, I would say it's a little more like that. And also, this is a show, maybe more than any other, that really changed in previews. Mm -hmm. From the first preview to opening night, there were so many different things. So. They could just continue to work on it and uh, streamline it mm -hmm. for sure. I know that you mentioned so Casey Nicola was in the ensemble, um, which is you know obviously he's gone on to do a lot of things as a director, choreographer. Um, there were so many people in that cast that had, incredible. How wild! Um, and you were telling me something this summer about just like people who were in the cast but watching the changes and like observing them. Oh yeah, yeah. So so I just found a tape that Casey gave us for opening night, which was basically. Just a lot of funny things about rehearsal. And one of the things he taped was an announcement saying, heads up, there's a new scene for Miss Flannery tonight. And then the next day, heads up, it's canceled. <laughs> because it was just, it was so sweet. They were trying to write something to kind of wrap up my story. And I just, I'm going to be honest, I just did it very poorly. It just, I wasn't very good with the last minute at that point in my life. Mm -hmm. So I don't think I elevated at all and very quickly it was cut i remember getting home from that that night and writing dick and saying uh can we just can it go away and he was like, don't worry it's going away yeah. but it wasn't him it was it was actually i just couldn't figure out how to play it so quickly yeah. um it's so funny you reminded me of this but when i saw drowsy chaperone at that theater you know i won the lottery i sat in the front row and underneath my script i'm underneath my seat i ruined the story um i put my playbill down and there was a script down there and it was somebody's preview script with like cross outs and changes and I tried to find an usher who just like didn't know what I was talking about so I'm sorry to say I took it home I must still have it somewhere someone's drowsy chaperone preview script um but it's amazing to me that you know I think if you're in the theater you know but if you're not it's like when things are changing every night you're still doing the show on Broadway um it's just a phenomenon that doesn't exist in any other industry and uh, big hats off to Sutton because I have to say that she was brilliant at it she really could get something last minute get off book be brilliant at it, go on stage. I mean, she really was like a machine that way and didn't seem stressed about it. Yeah. It's so, you and I were talking about this also earlier, but it's the show became this like beacon of light for so many people of like a certain theater generation that like so many of us who were in high school at the time and came to see it, um, it felt like it was like about us. It's this girl that moves to the city like that and Sutton specifically. Um, and you said you've had experiences now with colleagues being like, I saw that show, it changed my life. Yeah, yeah. it's really amazing, especially when I... I have students now I teach, and they're all doing it in high school. But but when when they I, I, I recently I was skyping with a student, and I asked her to sing anything for me so I could hear her sing, and she said, "Well, I'll sing Forget About the Boy," and I I usually keep quiet, but I just went, "Oh yeah, I, I was in that." <laughs> I just kind of like and she went, "Oh, 
really? And I said, she's, and I said, yeah, I, I was in the Broadway production. And, and I could see like her get a little like, wait, what? And I said, I played, you know, Miss Flannery, the tap dancing. And I, I mean, she practically had a heart attack. Yeah, she It was know. really cute. It was oh. really sweet. Um, I interviewed, there was so many, it was uh, Laura Osnes and Jay Johnson uh, and Jonathan Groff, who all were like, that show made me want to move to New York. That's like that Elizabeth Davis, show. I tell you, Yeah, that's amazing. Um, so I have to ask, um, so the Marquee has a unique fire system, which is because it was built in 86, of, it has like a flood curtain, and I was hearing about, there was like a flood during Millie. There was a flood. I also remember during Tech, the, um, there was a water thing on stage, like the, um, I don't know what happened, like a fire alarm, something happened, but that happened too. There was water all over the stage. I remember that because Don Holder told me, to, like came out wet, like soaking wet. So there was, but yes, I remember vaguely. I don't remember exactly. Mm-hmm. I, I think a show got canceled. Yeah, it happened during Millie and during Evita, where I think during Millie some rehearsals got canceled. Um, but it, what it does is, you know, as opposed to a traditional fire curtain, it sends down like a deluge of water from the roof. So <laughs> it essentially fills the orchestra pit. Um, uh. And I do remember when I interviewed Hal Luftig and he was talking about during Evita, um, the music supervisor hopped into the pit when the flood came down to try to save instruments, not realizing there were like live wires in there. And I'm like, this does not seem safer than a traditional (laughs) fire curtain. Oh my gosh. Um, But it's interesting. The marquee just, uh, it's different than those old Broadway theaters. It has different elements. I loved that theater. I mean, I have to say that maybe it's because I loved that show and there was something so special about it to me, but I loved being there. I loved the cast there, we just, the, the space there and the dorm, the amazing doormen, the crew, it was a very special place to work. Yeah. And it's also, you know, it's raked, like the audience, it's like, there's not a bad seat at the marquee. Like it was built in that way. Um, I did love also during Jazzy Chaperone, they mentioned the Morosco. I just remembered that they like talk about the theaters that had been knocked down, which it's so interesting. Cause like to our generation, it's like, it's the marquee, it's where Millie was. Right. Um, and to some people it might be like, Oh, they knocked down those theaters, but you know, the Beaumont was built on top of the area that was once like, you know, where a West side story happened. And I remember reading about how, when the St. James was first built, which was many, many years ago, um, actors protested it because the original Sardis was where the St. Saint- James was. Really? And so they moved Sardis. So people, so it's like New York is just built on top of itself. Also change is hard and sometimes it's bad. And sometimes, I mean, people used to smoke in restaurants. Yeah. It's, it's hard for people to adjust until they see that it works out and go, oh, wow, this actually is something that is helping the community. Thank you for tuning in to today's episode of the Untold Stories of Broadway podcast with this week's guest, Annal Nathan. Stay tuned for part two of this week's episode featuring the Marquee Theater. Thank you to our producer, Dory Berenstein, my publishers of the Untold Stories of Broadway, Brisa Trincaro and Roberta Pereira, Zach Zadek for that theme music. And thank you to all of you for listening to the podcast. You can buy the Untold Stories in book version on Amazon.com. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise. 
Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.